Yep. Hey guys, and welcome back to Project America. I'm your host, Michael Romines, and today we got a very special guest with us. His name is Doug Bennett. Uh, Doug was a multi-million dollar business owner and uh, ran into some trouble with uh, drug abuse and, and uh, getting caught with some of that stuff. So today, Doug is going to take some time and uh, tell us some of his experiences a little bit deeper into his story and um, tell us the negative impacts that drugs have on your body and your life as well, uh, with uh, the relationships in your life and um, everything after that. Our co-host Sean isn't here with us today. Uh, Sean was not able to make it and he'll be with us this Thursday. So Doug, why don't you first start off with just telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are. Thank you, Micah. <clears throat> I am a old, um, as he said, a, a business owner, entrepreneur, I guess you would call it. Um, now I'm more like a guy that likes to have a good time, but <laughs> um, hey, Doug, your audio, you're just uh, like you said your your audio is kind of cutting in and out there a little bit. All right, right now. Hello? Yep, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. All right. Yeah, like I said, um, or like John, or uh, like Mike said, I ran into some drug troubles. Um, well, hopefully I'm able to tell a little bit of that story and maybe some people will take heed and not, uh, go down the same path I did. That's pretty good. So one of the first things I kind of want to talk about, um, you hear with a, a lot of people who struggle with drug issues, sometimes it, uh, comes to them through their childhood, whether it be, um, rough homes or abuse or anything like that, um, just what kind of like was your childhood like? Was it a good childhood? Was it a bad childhood? Uh, what kind of formed you into uh, a person who wanted to do something like that? Or did you even want to do something like that? Was it something that uh, your friends or family or something like that kind of got you into? Or was it just on your own? Or uh, tell us a bit about that. Well, <clears throat> my childhood was fantastic. Uh, as a matter of fact, my parents were still together. Um, they just celebrated their 50th uh, anniversary, as a matter of fact. Um, happy fam. Like, there's no abuse, nothing like that. I mean, we were members of a country club. I grew up playing golf, and my dad was a baseball coach. My mom stayed home with my brother and I, and, you know, it was it was the all-American thing. Um, but when I got into high school, I started running around with older kids, mm -hmm. and... Um, just, they, they got me to start drinking and it wasn't to uh, escape anything. It wasn't to, you know, it wasn't because I was unhappy. It was kids just being kids kind of something thing. to do. I grew up in a yeah. small town. Just kind of like a that? kids being kids kind of thing. Yeah. We're, my town has like 9,000 people. Oh, dang, you call so that. Sabeth so only has like 2,500. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of wild. There's nothing to do. So you just jump in the car and you ride around and drink yep. beer. And uh, it just, it, it progressed and it took a long time to progress. I, I just smoked a little bit of weed and drank a lot through, through college. And, you know, um, I started doing a little bit of riddling and stuff like that. But that's, that's the extent of it. Really, I didn't even hit hard drugs really until I was about 35. Mm -hmm. Or at least the drugs that got me in trouble. Yeah. So, um, yeah. 
but yeah, there, tra- no trauma. Do you, do you think? Uh, so. One of the things I want to ask, and I'm not going to try and be belligerent. I know I have people from Sabetha listening to this that probably uh, I, I shouldn't allow to hear this. But at the same time, I am a college kid. I am uh, an 18-year-old. And I, I do drink from time to time when I, when I feel uh, sprucy enough. And, you know, sometimes I sit in my room and watch some TV and have a couple beers or go out with my friends on the weekend. It's just something that uh, kids do to escape for a little while, get a little break from what they've been doing, whether it's school or uh, family stress, yada, yada. Um, do you feel like, uh, drinking or weed or anything like that kind of helped pull you into it? Like, did it introduce you to it in a way or, um, was it completely like separate experiences? Like you kind of sought out to do it on your own. It wasn't, you know, getting high wasn't that fun anymore. Getting drunk wasn't that fun anymore. You wanted a bigger rush. Totally. Um, when you when you stepped up what you were doing, when I stepped up what I was doing, I guess it was a combination of a couple of things. Um, I had worked for eighty four lumber, and I had popped a few discs in my back, mm-hmm. and I was given Percocet by the doctor. And after ninety days of taking those, I was I had an, an addiction, a physical addiction to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd taken them as prescribed, but when it stopped, I still wanted more. And that into going to the methadone clinic because the withdrawals were terrible. Um, So I was on methadone for about nine years Mm. because it kept me off the other stuff. You know what I mean? And it was it was very safe. Yeah. Um, I didn't drink while I was on it. I was as productive as I could be. I was I was a financial advisor for edward jones i mean i was the suit and tie guy the model you know the model citizen um and then i'd got my i built my business built it up lost it so i was depressed as well and the methadone clinic uh, kicked me out because of my business they said it was a conflict of interest because Mm -hmm. i was selling uh k2 which some of the uh patients to get by the drug test at the methadone clinic um so i would let go from there and again the withdrawals came which are 10 times as bad as the other ones uh and that led me to uh find heroin and i i, I sought it out because or for for relief of the withdrawal symptoms mm-hmm. so it's kind of complicated so, but um... not so we kind of heard a little bit about your story of kind of like what got you to where you were. Um, what, uh, so before you told me that you've been to prison, you were in prison for three and a half years, correct? That's right. Yeah, I did, uh, like I said, 38 months in Ohio state penitentiary. <clears throat> I was, um, charged with conveyance into a detention facility. Uh, I didn't know I had the, it was just a very, very minute amount of drugs on me. Um, mm. But my girlfriend's mom called the law on me for being in her house uh, while she was in jail. And the cops came in and they took me in under a, a fake robbery charge or whatever, mm. um, which was dropped. But when they took me in, they found the this heroin that was in my pocket from at least a month prior. Uh, so that was the the felony that kept me in jail. And they charged me with possession on that. And everything that they found in the house, which was possession of methamphetamine, 
Um, <clears throat> and then they went through my cell phone and used my text messages and gave me some trafficking charges as well. All right. Um, so prison in America, the, the, the reason why we're, we say we have prison, even though sometimes it's not true, uh, the reason why America says it has prisons is because it's meant to be for rehabil- rehabilitation. As in, you know, you do a crime and you go to prison and you do your time and you're supposed to come out a reformed citizen. Uh, do you feel like going to prison actually benefited you, even though it took time away from your life, from your family and friends? Or do you feel like that you were kind of cheated out of those 38 months? Uh, yes and no. I was cheated out of it. Um in the sense that my charges were really kind of bogus, but in a sense, it saved my life. Literally, I was mm-hmm. when I was in prison, I lost eight or nine of my close friends that I hung out with daily to overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so obviously, I was on a path to to do that as well. As far as the rehabilitation, they do not push it, but if you want that for yourself, they they do offer programs for you to you know get get drug help. Uh, domestic violence help, you know, anything, whatever puts you in there, you sh- certainly can rehabilitate from, and they give you those those options. So, uh, if we... I, I... <clears throat> go, ahead. Go, go ahead. No, you're good. Go ahead. I was... What was I saying? Um, just that I, I did participate in the drug uh, program. Uh, I got some days off as well That's for good. that. Yeah. So um, just kind of talking about prison a little bit. Um, so you said they, they offer it, but they don't really push for it. Is that something? Um, let, let's let's think of. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Let's, let's try and, and, and no, it's not a hyperbole. I can't think of a word. Uh but let's say <laughs> let's say you got the opportunity to go and meet someone who could make changes in your state like that uh, with prisons. Um, what what is one thing that you would tell them as far as those programs go? Would you tell them to maybe try and push it a little bit more, try to offer more incentives for prisoners going through those things to try and uh, influence them to live a better life after their sentence is, is served? Or what, what's something that you would tell someone in that position? Well, I would absolutely tell them to, to take advantage of it. Um, they do incentivize it uh, extremely. They give you five uh, good days per month uh, if you complete it. You can end up, like my sentence, I, I could have got up to uh, almost five months off my sentence oh, for completing the programs. Okay. So that's, it, there's definitely an incentive to do it. Um, a lot of people in there, it's not their first time going. You yeah. know, I was... I was a minority, I guess you would say. I'd, I'd say about 10% of all people in there, it's their first time. Recidivism is big. Yeah. Um, people in there on the second, third, fourth number. Um, and they really don't care. There's, they, they'd rather just lay on their, on their bed and just watch the time go by. And, and they, they, they just don't care. You know what I mean? It's a, the breed of people in there is not good. Um, you know, I was... I'm like I said, I'm exception, you know, when I was in there it was, and it was, I stood out. It was very obvious that I kind of didn't belong there and I didn't come from that kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we have the problem of, of, you know, our prison system is drug addicts need help. They don't need to be punished yeah. like that. Um, so 
I guess it, it, it's it's there if you want it. And like anything else in life, it's it's what you make of it. Yeah. I uh, well, I can't say I personally know uh, someone who has issues with repeatedly going to jail, but I, I have a few people here in Emporia that I know that struggle with the law sometimes. Um, and I was talking to them a little bit because I, I mentioned the fact that I was doing a podcast over uh, this issue. And I was talking to them a little bit, and basically what I gathered was that they just uh, – it's kind of like a no respect for the laws put in place to protect people and you yourself. Um, one of them has several DUI charges, and uh, all I kept asking them was, you know, why are you willing to put your life and others at risk? driving while you're drinking like what's what's the what, what are you gaining from that why can't you stay at home and do it you know why can't you ask a friend to come pick you up and they just said uh basically they just didn't care they didn't care about their life they didn't care what happened they were just they they love to use the term here for a good time not a long time uh but they don't realize some of the things they can do or they do uh may hurt the people that are here for a long time and not necessarily a a good time in terms of, you know, party, get drunk, get high, do all this fun stuff. They want to actually live their life with their, they want to build a family and so on and so forth. Um, and I think it's really sad to see that, that people are uh, more focused on their quote unquote good time rather than their long time. Uh, because I feel like society in, in general has failed them. Uh, not that it's our responsibility to make sure everyone is constantly doing okay that i mean that's your own job that's your own responsibility but in a way where we where we in a way have made them feel outcasted because you know they messed up once and now they're a bad person and so people are going to see it as that way um my friend that has those several duis he's a really good guy he's a loving caring guy he's probably one of my good friends here he's honest and truthful uh but he said he got that one dui and his family basically deserted him and uh, his, he lost a lot of friends over it because they were calling him out. And yes, it is very dumb to drink and drive. And if you get a DUI, you deserve a DUI. Uh, but I feel like this can kind of go hand in hand with drug abusers. But once you start seeing people in your life leaving because you make one mistake, then you kind of fall into this pit where you're just like, well, I don't care. I don't care if I'm here. I don't care what happens. Uh, no one likes me anyway. And I feel like that's a big problem. And um, society as a whole has a lot to do with that issue because we make it out to be a huge problem instead of offering a hand and, and help and stigmatize uh, offering, yeah. offering them, offering to be there for that person. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I see that as a big issue and, um, surely that can kind of coincide with the people that are inside that prison. They just feel like people don't care and that they don't have anyone there for them. Uh, so why, why would they want to be out in the free world? Why wouldn't they be somewhere where they can be with people like them uh, and not have to worry about going to a nine-to-five job every day or something like that to where they can just sit there and uh, be alone just like they feel like they would be out in the real world if people aren't going to be there for them and judge them because of their past mistakes. That's it. Um, the people that are in there, they, they would rather be there. There's a lot of people that would rather be in prison. Like Their life in there is better than the life that they have out on the street. And that mm-hmm. is sad. Um, it is, yeah, it's a very sad. Fact. But they're very accustomed to prison, and they they survive well. Uh, they're normally the guys that have <clears throat> have all the commissary and all the nice clothes. That are, you know what I mean? It's just they they've got yeah. their hustle, and that's that's just how they work. And they fear going onto the streets because 
they don't work. They don't know how to survive and function in, in society. And, and like you said, societies, you know, they stick their nose up at them <clears throat> and, and they're looked upon like you can't, it's so hard to get a job as a felon. And it, it's, Oh yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's hard enough. In fact, where if you are a felon and you get hired onto a place, the government will actually pay that place because they're hi- They hired a felon. That's how bad it is. Sure. They definitely uh, do. There's a lot of companies that still don't hire. Mm. Um, but yeah, there are incentives for them to do so. Absolutely. But so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of move on a little bit there. Um, so what, uh, shoot, sorry, I lost my, lost my spot. Um, so out of all, did prison, you said you feel like it kind of benefited your life, even though uh, they were kind of bogus charges to you. Um, what, what all did you learn from your time in prison? Like what, what are the things that you came out with, uh, as far as any, uh, classes or programs that you went through? Uh, and then like, what, what did you learn personally towards personal relationships and stuff like that, uh, from prison? Um, to be honest with you, I didn't learn a whole lot through any of the programs, um, they they were just basic, um, like intense outpatient programs. And what I mean by that is there are programs on the street. It's, it's called intense outpatient where you go three or four times a week for like an hour mm-hmm. or two. Um, it's basically rehab without being checked into a facility. And it's basically covering the same, uh, material. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they let you know how to identify your triggers, which are what makes you crave your drug of choice. Um, you know, which would be like people, places and things. Um, it helps you to, to look at who you've hurt and, and what, what you've done. Um, so a lot of people, they get a lot of guilt through taking those classes as well. And that, that makes them not want to take them. Uh, that's kind of how it is with me. I really don't like to go through stuff like that because it, it bums me out and it almost makes me feel like I want to do drugs by going to the classes. And I'm going to, really? you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Every day is a struggle, man. Um, once you get to be, at least with, I got involved with heroin and I got involved with heroin at the age of like 38. Like I didn't mess with it my whole life. Um, so I've been a heroin addict for six, six years. And it's, it's a hard way to go. I feel so sorry for anyone that gets hooked on heroin because the rest of their life is going to be terrible. And mm-hmm. it's it, even if you get off of it and the physical stuff's gone, like you have the remorse you've got, even though if you make amends with the people that you've hurt, you still know that you've hurt them. And you feel like when you look at them or looking at you, like, you know, you did me this way. Um, and sometimes you'll hear, addicts say that the ones that overdosed are the lucky ones because they don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. Um, that's, it's, it's just very bleak. Um, you know, I've been clean. I've gotten back on, I've, I've relapsed. And that's the thing with heroin. 97% of heroin addicts will relapse. And mm-hmm. it's, it's what happens. Um, when I got out of prison, I was good for about two months. And then I, I, I got on it again for a couple months. And now I've been, clean from that for about three months now Uh, yeah i you know i know not to mess with it and i know what where it'll lead me um 
And I could honestly say that I have no idea why I would relapse or why I went and got that, you know, that last uh, buzz. I mean, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And I can't. Are there are there ways that you can try and remove uh, enablers in your life? You know, like purposely burn some bridges and, and get those enablers kind of away from you. Absolutely, and I have. Absolutely, that's good. That's good. I will. I sit at my house every day, and I don't go anywhere other than to go get a pack of cigarettes or you know just to do the regular, um, you know, hang out with my parents, and mm-hmm. and they're awesome. My parents are a great support staff. And and they care so much. Um, and even, you know, doing that, there's an empty feeling at times uh, where yeah. that that lifestyle is, it kind of calls your name. Uh, so you, every day is a fight. It really is. You just, you just have to, you know, buckle down and you've got to, you just have to say no, like Nancy Reagan said. I mean, it's really that <laughs> simple, but it's, it's, it's so hard at the same time. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things I fear. I had a, I had a couple friends from Sabetha one time tell me that they were, they were going to go to a party and uh, they were pretty excited because there's Coke there. And, you know, the only thing I asked, I was like, why? I mean, I understand like if you want to go to a party and get drunk, sure. You're teenagers. That's what a lot of teenagers do. No, I mean, you can't, you can't tell me that any parent believes that their child is a God child and has never gotten drunk or never drinks. I mean, sure. There's a few out there, but <laughs> um, it's just not the reality but they were talking to me about uh, the fact that there's going to be coke there and they're really excited and I was like "What? why would you guys want to do that and you mean we've heard plenty of stories of how drugs like that can infect you we've heard plenty of stories how drugs like that can lead to worse things or overdosing and you know they gave me the same BS story of I'm here for a long time or a good time not a long time and yada yada uh, but I think the really huge problem in America is is people here like Hey, this is bad for you. Don't do it. It makes them want to do uh, it. It's that that ain't gonna work. Sometimes it even makes them want to do it. Mm-hmm. We get all these lectures and stuff in school. Hey, don't drink. It's bad. Drinking's bad for you. You can't go into a school and tell a high school drinking's bad for you. You need to bring them a real life subject who has alcoholism, right? Who can show them their day to day and show them why it's bad for you, not just tell you why. It's the same as a uh, as telling someone you love them. You can't just tell someone you love them. You got to show them you love them. Sure. Um, but the, the, the thing with drugs that are, are harder, um, and I, and I know marijuana may not be, you know, people advocate that it's a safe drug and yada, yada, but it may not necessarily hurt you that bad physically, but it can hurt the ones around you and it can hurt, uh, your career paths and it can hurt a bunch of other things. And I feel like people don't focus on that. They just think, oh, this isn't going to hurt me that bad if I smoke it. I'm okay, and they don't think of the other consequences because they're not told the other consequences. They're just told it's not that bad for you. Um, anyway, so one of the things that what I was saying is one of the things in America that I feel is like a really big problem is uh, we're told this is bad for you. We're told don't do it. It's not good. Uh, but people these days, especially younger kids, uh, when this normally happens as they're going through their whole experimental, I want to know what's what and whatever else, they're not they're not really shown what's bad for you. And I and I. I'm hoping that's what's going to happen with this podcast is we're able to uh, explain your story and, and people can see the outcomes of bad decisions um, because it is, it is terrible that you had to, you went through all that stuff, even if it was choices you made. Uh, the fact is that we as humans, we are not perfect and we make mistakes. Um, 
and that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be loved loved any differently it just means that we need to be loved more um and i guess one thing that i would say you know i've never went through anything like that but one thing i would say is uh, if anyone listening is is someone who has someone like that in their life and they have judged them and looked at them differently and stopped loving that person that that maybe you should reach out and start loving that person again and show that person you're there for them because like doug said it, it's hard to not go and fall into recidivism when you feel like no one's there to love you and no one cares about you. And when you do have someone that is a past addict, uh, it's really hard not to relapse if you still feel that way. Because as, as Doug just told us, you know, you can go through programs and you can go through rehab and everything, but what was it? 97% of heroin addicts alone relapse because they have this guilt and they have this, um, the, these feelings inside them that just make them want to get high again and, and not really feel those. Uh, they want to feel that buzz. Um, it also changes the chem- and, and sometimes, you know, it takes a little bit more than that. that that's a, that's, it up? changes the chemical pathways in your brain when you get high on harder drugs. Um, there, there mm-hmm. You have receptors in your brain that, um, that are set off by feelings of, you know, happiness. Whereas before you use drugs, um, children and getting married and love and such like that, that will give you the release of endorphins. And that was, that makes you happy. That dulls those senses and no longer will those, you know, original human, you know, human nature, uh, things release endorphins and dopamine and all that. You don't get that same rush anymore and you have to use the drugs to get that same good feeling so it's 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 not mm. even about feelings it's, it's more about you know the chemicals in your brain and touch on something else is i'm loved like no other i i'm shown love i've got people that care about me every day and i still have those problems so i can't imagine people that have no one there for them and also have these issues in an addict that'd just be just terrible mm. Yeah. While, while it may not help, you know, in every aspect, it, it always uh, is really nice to have someone there. Even if you're not like, even if it's someone not going through uh, drug abuse or anything like that. Um, I mean, we can, the same goes for like alcoholism. Uh, I actually have a buddy here in Emporia, uh, really, really sweet and good guy. He's like I said, another one of the nicest people I have. Uh, this is not the, the guy that has a lot of DUIs. This is actually a different guy. Um, that I know of, he hasn't said anything about charges or anything, but he's, he drinks a lot. And, uh, it's, it's really sad to see because every time I talk to him, he's drunk and, you know, he kind of explained a little bit of his story to me because I like, I like asking people, you know, like what's, what's going on and whatnot. Uh, same way, uh, I talked to you that first time we mm-hmm. had that phone call, um, Doug and, uh, I was just talking to him and he said, you know, his family's not really uh, in his life anymore. He had a, a girlfriend that he had a kid with and then she cheated on him and had a kid with another guy and was trying to lie to him and all this other stuff. And it, and, a, and a lot of it from the beginning, um, not always, but a lot of times just comes right down to like who you're around and, and who the people are around you that love you or don't love you. And uh, that, that can make a huge impact. You are who you life. associate with. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that is a lot of times how that is. Um, 
But anyway, we, we can move on a little bit here. Uh, the next subject I have is, is it may be a little bit touchy. And if anything that we're talking about throughout, I should have said this earlier, if anything we talk about uh, kind of starts hitting a little too hard uh, or anything like that, we're more than welcome to just say that and then we can move on from it and we don't got to talk about it. Um, but what I wanted to ask you is uh, how did, what, what, what was going through your head as you heard about these friends um, passed as you were in prison? What was going on in your head? It came to the point where I really didn't want to call home because every it seemed like every time I called home, somebody mm-hmm. else had died. So, I mean, it it's rough because you you're, you can't do anything for them. I'm I'm stuck in there, and I need you know help myself. And these people are out here suffering on the streets, and 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 they're dying, and there's nothing you can do. It, it it's hard. It really is, and it you know you're already in a place that's a living hell. I mean, so to put that on top of it, it, does, it doesn't help <laughs> at all. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I, I've taken it as a, as a, a part of the lifestyle that I'd chosen to lead. Um, and you just got to accept that, I guess. Um, you know, don't, don't worry about my feelings. Like all this stuff, I'm, I'm numb to everything anymore. Uh, it's almost like I, it just, it can't get much worse. <laughs> so I, it, I'm okay with it. We can talk about anything. I'm, I'm pretty strong in that aspect. Physically, I'm a pretty weak man. But That's good. <laughs> mentally, I will kick your butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I'm, I'm a six foot, 165 pound, 18 year old. I couldn't do anything either. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, do you, do you still struggle with uh, drugs and drug abuse or anything like that? I mean, I know you mentioned here a couple months back you had a relapse and you had a relapse a couple months after getting out. Uh, how are you doing today? Like, for example, give us give us a synopsis of how your emotion and your feelings have went through the day today. Oh, uh, see. Oh, woke up happy. Went to the dentist. They really made me mad. <laughs> oh, they were terrible. Um, I know a thing or two about that. I'll be honest with you. I got kicked out of my dentist office. I'm not allowed to go back there. I have to go to another dentist. <laughs> oh, that's not I good. didn't yell at them. Really. It was, but I was awfully rude. But it was needed. Like they, they were not doing the right thing, and I had to tell them that. Like it was, but I, I was. I wasn't moody because of drug. I was just mad. Like I was just, and I, I was in a good mood when I went. Um, I guess it kind mm-hmm. of drugs may have played a, a role of giving me roller coaster emotions or whatever. But um, you know, I, I I've been upbeat and happy all day, uh, and normally I am. Ninety percent of the time, it's a That's good, good day. You know, and the bad times they they come, but they they're gone just as fast as they come. Um. I just have to hope that I don't act on those times that, that come real quick and that I have to let them pass. And once they pass, it's it's back to normal again, I guess. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, some days, I, I guess, are worse than others. But um, like I said, I've just learned to adapt and deal with all this now. And 
um, I'll slip and I, and I kind of know that, and I'll, I'll slip again. It's just, I just have to minimize how far I fall. And that's, that's kind of mm. the way I look at it. Make sure uh, I know I'll, I'll fall, but you know, let's, let's just not get hurt too bad this time. You know what I mean? Like, don't yeah. let it go on for so long and don't, you know, lose different things and don't take it to an extreme. Just, just get it out of my system and start again. Cause that's, that's just where I'm at. Yeah. You know, it, <clears throat> um, yeah. Uh, we're going to take a step back real quick. I, I, I missed one of my questions I had written down here. Uh, I had to write all this out because if I didn't, I was probably <laughs> going to forget. <laughs> um, so we were talking about prison and everything and your experience in prison. Uh, what, what was one of the first, what were a few of the first things you did uh, after you got out of prison? Uh, first thing I <laughs> I went and got a, uh, a large pizza hut pizza that was yeah, food, food, something you miss so much in there. Um, it's the food mm-hmm. that they feed you at the chow hall is it's so bad. You can't even explain it. Um, every day you get starches and, you know, it's, it's rice and beans and pasta. Just stuff to give you they calories. Get calories and it's it cheap much. to make and you can make a lot of it. So, and it's bland. They don't, yeah. you don't get salt and pepper. Now you can buy condiments and stuff like that uh, through the commissary and take it with you, which everyone does. And mm-hmm. luckily, I was able to have a couple different people put money on my books, so I was able to go to the store every week and get, you know, a lot of food. So I, I didn't go to the chow hall that much because I was able to cook at my dorm because you have microwaves and and boiling water and stuff like that, so you can cook. Um, and if mm-hmm. you're lucky enough to have people care for you and look out for you, then um, you know, but it's, it's still not great food, you know what I mean? It's, it's luxury compared to, oh, yeah, definitely not stuff you'd want to live every day. Yeah, you, your main ingredient are ramen noodles and there's about 4 million things you can do with them. I mean, you know, you take some ramen noodles and you get a, a <laughs> summer sausage and a block of cheese and you can make a masterpiece with that. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I've seen a lot of wild stuff in there. I've seen some serious prison chefs and they, I've seen pizza made in a microwave. I mean, it's it's kind of wild, but yeah, you miss you miss pizza a lot. You miss food a lot, really. Um, sex is number two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ex girlfriend number one. <laughs> I mean, let's be real here. I mean, it's it's a basic human uh, desire, and uh, so yeah, I, I could Absolutely. I could understand that. Yeah, food and sex and. Uh... You know, just to go see my family, you know, I just, I long for that because, mm-hmm. uh, my mom was really the only person that came and visited me, uh, as far as my family goes, not because they didn't want to, it was just, you know, I was going to be out within a couple of years or whatever. And I'm not real close with my extended family. You know, I, my mom came, my dad was just, he just couldn't bear come to prison, I guess. Um, and that's, yeah. I understand. And that's cool. I, I don't have any ill will towards that. I I, I get it. You know, and it took. I, mm. I my, bless my mom. She's an angel. She really is. Um, <clears throat> she doesn't belong anywhere near there. Like my parents, they have money. You know what I mean? They are 
they're well-off people. They're good people. Um, I have no business being in there. Um, but that makes, that takes me to my main point is that addiction, it doesn't care who you are, where you're from, what color you are, what your religion, like anybody at any time can, can get hooked. And so, you know, if you want to sit there at your house and think that I'm here and, you know, I'm in this, you know, giant house and I, I drive a Jaguar and, you know, I'm this and that, well, you know, make the wrong decision and see what happens. Like, like I said, I, my back got messed up and that's how it all started for me. I didn't, I didn't go seek out to go get high. I needed relief from the pain that I was in. And, and that's all I did. Mm-hmm. And, and I know of probably 70% of opiate addicts. That's how, how it started for them as well. Um, especially people my age, yeah. um, because of all the, all the painkillers that were written back in the late nineties and early two thousands. It was, it was very, very bad. Uh, doctors were very free with that and they now know that it was a very bad move. Yeah. It, it's strange. Some people don't really think that, uh, some of the drugs are given, they think they're always safe just because they're prescribed by a doctor. But, um, if anyone out there is like me, I, I don't trust no. big pharma. Um, I, I think unless it was for one of the surgeries I've been through, uh, I've never taken prescriptions that weren't prescribed to me. I think one time I had a uh, really, really bad, uh, tooth pain after a surgery. And I think that all they gave me was amoxicillin. Um, and I had a bunch of ibuprofen, um, and then I basically just like slept my time away. Um, then things like that, sometimes, you know, people get really hurt and their doctor won't prescribe them anything. And so they look for something that's going to relieve that pain. And then they get hooked on it. Uh, oxycodone's a, uh, a big one. Um, I actually, surprisingly, I hear a lot about oxy. In college, people talk about it, oxy, Adderall, things like that. Um, and they think, you know, let's take in terms of Adderall. Adderall is a, oh, yeah. a really popular drug in college um, because it, it helps people focus. And students think, you know, oh, I got a, I got a huge exam tomorrow. I'm going to take some Adderall and I'm going to just study through the night. And, you know, they've done studies over that. It does not help. Doing drugs does not enhance your performance on on college exams and yet kids still think you know oh it makes me focus more it's gonna work no it's not exactly how that works Adderall especially if it's not prescribed to you uh, because if you're taking more than it would be that's really all it is pretty much <laughs> yeah pretty much um <laughs> yeah um but things like that people think you know just because they're prescribed by doctors they're completely safe and that's a hundred percent wrong um you know, the people yeah. that make that medicine, they're there to make money. That, and, you know, people can argue differently, but for, for the most part, uh, a, a lot of the reasons people make that medicine and fight to get it released, even though they know that there's uh, strong addictives to it or there's uh, harmful traits of that medicine, they don't care. They, they want, they're there to make a buck. If they cared, they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have pushed so hard for that medicine to get out there, even though. It has all those bad traits, um, and I and I, I know I have a 
there's, there's a girl here I talked to and I, I don't want to get too much into this because it's really personal. Uh, she has a person in her life who struggled with some of this uh, drug issues and uh, the doctors, they, they will not give her medicine. The doctors will not prescribe her medicine. She had a, a health issue here a while back uh, that she, like normal people uh, who haven't struggled with abuse issues um, would normally get this medicine and they won't give it to her because she's had past history with abuse. Um, uh, and and that, that alone just shows you how they're worried about uh, what am I trying to say? A, pain, a pain pill um, causing a person to relapse or something like that, which if that's the case, then why are you allowing it to be sold? Um, I guess in some ways, my view may be a little bit different just because I, I haven't went through issues like that but sure if you, if you, view on um, I imagine uh, you're talking about suboxone the big pharma. maybe uh, it was a uh, oh she had to get surgery with a blood clot or something well, I know something, like I think. suboxone is used to treat opiate. Sure. Um, so and to get off the opiates which you're doing what you're supposed to do, and you're and you're getting the suboxone, and but once you stop taking the suboxone, you go to a doctor, mm. and you try to get the medicine that they prescribe, and they won't they will not prescribe it to you, and, and it not not the opiates, you know, it's something that will make you relapse, even other drugs like myself, I ha- I suffer mm. fang- from anxiety, and after I completed my suboxone program, mm. I went back to get my medicine for my anxiety. And they would not write that to me because it's a narcotic and it would make them liable if I were to have some kind of issue with it. And they've been sued, you know, by other people's families and stuff like that. So for malpractice uh, reasons, they won't, they won't write that drug anymore. They won't write you any narcotics. Mm-hmm. So that, that shows you how, how strong these these things are, you know. Yes, and they're they're dangerous. They can destroy lives pretty easily if not used Absolutely, properly. absolutely. There's nothing good that could. Uh, that's not to say you know like. Uh, I mean, sometimes there are times when you kind of have to. Uh, for instance, getting your wisdom teeth removed, they put you on some pretty pretty strong. Sure, you stuff. break your back. Uh, if you're someone who there, there's had reasons that. for it. Yeah, there's there's sometimes that it's like you have to take it, but it's about doing it right and making sure that you're doing it right to the point where you're not just going to go, oh, I kind of want to feel like how I did when I took it when I had my back broken. So I'm going to seek that out and try to get it and yada yada. And that's that's how that well, you take that first started. pill and you get this amazing feeling. You never get that feeling again, but you chase it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, no. I, had, I had one one of my. So I've had a lot of oral surgeries uh, with orthodontistry, and I know one of them, they prescribed me hydrocodone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hydro, from what I know from it, it's not extremely strong, but I know that a lot of people still abuse it. Uh, but I, I hated taking it because I, I felt like when I took it, one, all I wanted to it do was sleep. Uh, it made me really tired. Uh, it didn't make me very nauseous, but it made my body feel numb. Yeah. And I, I did not like that. It made me really uncomfortable because it felt like my body, that something was off my body. Um, I think some people crave that feeling. But I, I, I really, 
I, I really didn't uh, have a choice to take it because it's either that or I would have to sit and have all this pressure in my head because of my, my surgery. It would make me really, really uncomfortable. Um, and if you've ever had an oral surgery, you know I what have. I'm talking about. It is the worst yeah. thing you can go through. Dude, pain's the worst. It, 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 yeah, they suck. Sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely not fun. Um, most, I'm sure most of my Sabetha audience will know what I'm talking about if they've ever uh, seen Absolutely. me in person. Um, but yeah, there, there's sometimes when you really just can't avoid it because it's either that or you have to deal with excruciating pain. But the what needs to be focused in more on is when you get prescribed something like that, I think it's important that they make you like before the procedure or something like that. If it's, if they're able to, they need to teach you how to do it properly and inform you the proper make ways. Make you aware of the dangers for one. The improper ways. And yeah. Make you, make you aware of the dangers. Don't just say, here's a, here's a prescription don't for hydro. Uh, yeah. Just right, go pick it up at Walmart. Have fun. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not enough. Yeah. Um, but then again, you've got people like um, the doctor will tell you, well, don't crush them up and snort them. Well, some people will take that. Oh, well, I wonder why he said not to do that. Let me try it. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. it's like a catch-22. You know? you're, <laughs> you're darned if you do, and you're darned if you don't. Um, but it all, I think it all goes back to our society. And, and just sometimes that stuff's glorified, you know, on, in, on TV or in the movies. Like they show people partying and having a good time and, and, and people want to have that same good time you know and especially with alcohol like mm-hmm. you, it's it's on tv all the time like it it they don't show the the bad parts of alcohol they show the fun stuff all right i mean like watch, watch a watch a budweiser commercial they're all having fun they're all you know watching a football game yeah. drinking some beer they don't and show stuff. the next morning when and then at the up. end they have this very very fast said clip that says drink <laughs> yeah. responsibly <laughs> and what does that mean <laughs> I was like, what do you, what? What does that mean? That's it, though. And, like, you know, you if you don't have an alcoholic parent, but they drink on the weekends and you see that, that just that's going to lead you to drink yourself because you don't see any of the ramifications from it. Yeah. And, I, I mean, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a perfect child. I've, I've messed up in my life too. The only difference is the people I had around me to support me uh, after I messed up. But one time I, I made a really huge mistake and uh, I got alcohol poisoning. Uh, we never took, they never took me to the hospital. My parents didn't. My mom was a nurse. Uh, we actually went through this with another one of my siblings, but my mom was a nurse. And so she laid beside me all night. I was on the, I believe they sat me on the couch, um, but I was ignorant. And stupid. I when I thought of drinking, I thought of seeing people have a good time and and relaxing and stuff. And I didn't know my limits, and I took it way too far, and I messed up. And now today, I I won't even go around hard alcohol ever. <laughs> I smell it. I want to puke. I and sometimes it takes it that. I mean, <laughs> um, and it's, it's good that that happens. I'm I'm happy I'm happy it's that way because I know that it's a one it's a lot safer for me because um, you know and, and uh, if you're someone who does enjoy drinking from time to time you'll know what I'm talking about you know you sit down you have a couple beers and then you get a little buzz and then you just want to keep drinking because you want your buzz to get stronger or you're at a party or something like that and you want to have more fun because you think the more you drink the more fun you're going to have versus the opposite 
actually happening. The right, more you, you want drink, that the shittier, same feeling the you got with that have, first beer, or and you never get it again. Yeah, um, but the problem is, is we're not educated on proper. We're we're just told don't do it. We're not educated on. But if you yeah, are going to do it, do it like yeah, this. Sure. They give you an out. Because people think if they, people think of, yeah, people think if you say that, then that's going to incentivize doing the, or not incentivize, but it's going yes, to try to make you want to do it more. So that's okay. not true. The, the truth is, is that people are going to do it whether you say, the truth is people are going to do it whether you say don't do it or do it. They're going to do it. Um, so you might as well take the time to teach them how to do it properly. Learn how to learn how to know your limit. Learn how to handle it properly. Learn how to uh, do it safely. Um, don't drink and drive. Here's why you don't drink and drive. Show them a picture of someone who's drink uh, who's been drinking and driving and gotten in an accident. Flash this a big dead body up there on the screen and let them see that. <laughs> and and Sabetha got a really big dose of this here a few years back. We had a teacher. Um, I, I loved I loved him to death. He was one of the coolest guys. Uh, and he was a generous man too. Um, I won't say his name because that's pretty private. He was just a teacher at her school. Uh, but like I said, loved him to death and he made a mistake one night and now he's right. not with us anymore. <clears throat> it's a perfect example of why you can't do these things. And I don't think kids, especially in our society are taught that they're taught to just oh, don't do it, but they're still going to do it. And then no one tells them why, right. why they shouldn't be doing it. And that, that goes over even more into, I mean, parent, you can use that as everything. Parenting. Yes, you should punish your kids to a certain point. Don't abuse them or beat them, but you should punish your kids to a point. But if you're going to punish your kids, you've got to tell them why right. what they did was wrong. <laughs> yes, that was this wrong. Is this is why part never seems to follow that. Yeah. Yes, drinking is bad. Here's why. Yes, doing coke is bad. Here's why. Give them examples. And, and our society doesn't do that. They just say it's bad. Don't do it. Right. And then they just expect you not to do it. That's like telling a little kid not to, not to mm-hmm. do something. And it's going to make them want to do it more. Because then they get curious. They're like, hmm, why shouldn't so, I be doing this? So if I had to tell society one thing, that's what I'd tell them. Give an example yeah. of why. And, and if you're going to you know, engage in that stuff, you've got to practice um, moderation. You know, even, and but yes. that's that's another thing. Like, you know, you make it easier for people to do this stuff because, like, okay, well, he he just drinks. My, you know, my kid just drinks. He, at least he doesn't do marijuana. You know, and that gives him an out. You know, yeah. and that, and, no, and, not and at that's all. not. A, it's not, not an excuse. All, but it's, it's easier for the parent to do that than to punish their kids and have them complain and cry and mope around the house all day. You know, uh, parenting has gotten very lazy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think that's oh, yeah, really attributed to a lot of it. Um, and then the parents these days seem to be more of their friend to their kids than their parents. You know, though, I've seen, you know, a lot of parents mm-hmm. go and buy their kids beer. You know, like, really? <laughs> Your kid's 15. They don't need a 12-pack of push sight. <laughs> You know, they need a hug and a baseball mitt. Go outside, no. kid. Do something. <laughs> and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, uh, so I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me. Um, but there's a certain point 
because 21 is a, lo a long time away. And if you just beat the living hell out of your kid anytime they even think about getting drunk or something like that, then I, I still think even that's doing it wrong. I think if you're with one of your parents or something like that and you're being taught how to do it in moderation, how to do it properly, find your limits, uh, learn how to do it responsibly, then it's a lot safer when you do turn 21 because then yeah. you know already. So, you know, let, let's, and I know this may not sound good to a lot of people, but let's take like me and for example, um, like me and in college, uh, I've learned my limits. I, I know what I can and can't do. I know what's good and bad. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know how to do it in moderation, but, or not but but the reason why i am appreciative of that is because now i know when i turn 21 i'm not going to go to a bar and get absolutely hammered uh go through the possibility of getting alcohol poisoning or something like that i'm just gonna do what i normally do have a good time but this time i'm gonna be right. able to do it legally um and there's a lot of issues that can come into play with what i just said and and a lot of people may not be able to agree with it and that's okay that's my opinion my view remember the the whole whole name of the game here with this show is just kind of open your mind if you don't like it swipe sure, to the side keep on listening opinion. you know um that yeah uh but that that's just kind of my view on that i think it's okay uh once your kid you know i think 18 would be a good age to start teaching kids how to do it properly um just just because of the fact that it, it no, I'm not saying get your kid to absolutely trashed and uh, you know let him go about it that way, but let him let him have a couple beers, sit with them, have a couple beers with them, watch a little bit of TV and have a couple beers with them, let them experience it a little bit, so that way they don't just go to college and then they have a friend that says, hey, I'm going to a party, you want to come, and they go to that party and they do 20 shots. Next thing you know, they're puking up on the curb, and, and they're they're a shot away I think from that would alcohol happen regardless. Um. It's college. You can teach your kids all you want. Oh, no, but probably once they get around um, some other kids, <laughs> I think all that's out the window. No. Well, like it you is, said earlier, a lot of times who you are is who um, you're around. You want to be successful? In college, you're around a bunch right. of stupid kids that want to get life, drunk. Surround, your people with, <laughs> surround yourself with successful people. Surround yourself with people that are better than you. Mm-hmm. Because that will make you strive to be better than yourself. If you surround yourself with, yeah. with gutter trash, you're just gonna drop down to gutter trash. It's, it's just that it's how it is, you mm -hmm. know. Just... Yeah, I'm not advocating for illegal drinking or advocating that you should be getting your kids hammered or buying your kids alcohol. What I'm advocating for is providing a safe environment where you are able to supervise your children. And, or well, <laughs> not children. They should be adults. Remember, I said eighteen. Sorry, <laughs> uh, but you should be allowed to supervise it and and walk them through it and kind of teach them, use it kind of as a teaching experience and allow them to experience it. So that way, when they do to turn twenty one, they're not just going balls crazy. Or when they go to college, even they're not just going to go out and they're going to be that person that's puking everywhere, having a really bad time because they don't know anything. Um, and honestly, at that point, you could see it as literally safety training with alcohol. Oh, yeah. Because kids drink in college. Fun fact. <laughs> Not sure if any of the parents knew that. 
out there, but kids drink in college. Kids experiment in college, and they do a lot of dumb stuff in college. Right. So you better teach them how to be dumb and do it safely, because <laughs> otherwise they're going to be dumb and do it badly, right. and then they may get hurt. <laughs> Sad truth behind it, and I know people don't like to hear that, but that it's the truth. And sure. Uh, that, now, if your parents have been to college, about, and they already the truth, understand so. all this. <laughs> Yeah, but even even some that do go to college, I, I know plenty of parents that have been through all this, and I've heard, you know, small town, I've heard stories of stuff they did in high school, and yet they're the parents that are the strictest. And I'm like, you got sure. to, like, ease up. One, you did this crap when you were in college. So you, out of anyone, should know that, you know, they need to be taught how to do it safely, not completely kept well, away from The times are different like now, parents. too. There wasn't heroin back uh, on every corner. One you thing know, I'd say. not doing crystal meth. You know, they, there might have been some marijuana yeah. in but but one, one, one thing I'd probably say is, yeah, you probably should not do the same with drugs. Alcohol, I can sure, kind of advocate with my point. Uh, drugs, definitely not. Don't, don't sit in the front room and watch <laughs> some TV and get high with your son. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, drugs, I think Absolutely. you should be teaching them, you know, this is bad, and then explain it to them, like right. I was talking about earlier. I think that would be the same. You know, you take your kids that. to an AA meeting and sit them down and let them listen um, to these people's stories. That may have some some kind of influence. That honestly, that is a that is some, yeah. that is a great idea. Take your kid to an AA meeting and let them hear those stories. Um, oh yeah, almost every town anywhere has them. They're listening to these stories, but anyway. We're sitting, we're sitting right at about yep. 58 minutes. Uh, Anchor only anchor. lets us do <laughs> one-hour episodes. Um, it's been great. <laughs> Stupid Anchor. <laughs> it's been Stupid. great getting to talk to you, Doug. I really hope that uh, everyone listening has at least learned one thing today. If you learned one thing, then you have had a successful Absolutely. day. And if we can do that in this hour, that is my goal. Uh, I'm Michael Romines, your host, and this is our guest, Thanks, Doug Bennett. And Bennett, it has been a... It has been an absolute pleasure having you on to talk to us about uh, the dangers of drug abuse and conversating some about that. It was great to hear your story, man. And I, really I hope somebody listens and learns, man. And that that would make my day as well. But thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. You too, man. See you. Appreciate it so much. Thank you guys for tuning in to this podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please leave a like. Um, if you're watching us on Facebook, uh, please share this around with your friends. It helps us more than you'd think. What we're trying to do here is really get this content out to everyone, especially this episode, because I personally believe that drug abuse and alcohol abuse is a major problem in America, and we need to be spreading awareness. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about this video, or you just want to kind of talk about it, please be sure to leave a comment or message me on Facebook uh, at Project America. Like I said, please share this with your friends and family. It helps a lot. Um, this can be shared through Facebook, or you can find us on Spotify or anchor.fm at Project Podcast, like I said. Um, other than that, thank you for stopping by and listening. I'm Micah Romines. The man that we talked to today was Doug Bennett. He has a podcast as well called Fresh to Death with Doug Bennett. Uh, I believe he calls himself Dougie Fresh sometimes, too. You may be able to find him at that at. Um, anyway, thank you so much for stopping by. It means a lot. Uh, and I hope you all have an amazing day.